Hello, I'm Shelley Mitchell. Welcome to my podcast, Between Cut and Action. I'll be speaking with performing artists about how they keep themselves inspired between gigs and what they do to stay focused on set between cut and action. I'm here with Bobby Soto, and Bobby is an actor in L.A. He's been acting since he was a teenager, and he was in, what's the first movie you were in? The uh, I was in the movie called A Better Life. A Better Life. It was directed by Chris Weitz, and the lead actor was actually nominated for an Oscar. Wow. Yeah, the 2011. Wow. And... uh did you, you did some TV before that too, right? Yeah, yeah, actually my very first job was a Walmart commercial. Oh. My very first job and I worked for three and a half hours and I remember getting a really nice fat check and that's the time my mom was like, ching, ching, this is a good, <laughs> this is a good <laughs> career path for you, son. Um, all I did was like literally shake hands with the kid that was the principal of the commercial. That's oh. all I did. It was oh. like a back to school commercial. And then... I did a TV series called A Better Life. I mean, sorry, called... Um, Brothers oh, and Sisters. Brothers and Sisters. I'm yeah. so sorry. Yeah. yeah. I did this, that's a TV show that I did, Brothers and Sisters, with Sally Field. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the movie, and then I did another I did a TV movie. Is this okay to talk like this? Yeah. I mean, this is what this is. This is a... Uh, 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 a podcast, and, and, like and we got to like, introduce you, okay, and uh, uh, and give a little context to the listeners because, um, yes, full disclosure, uh, uh, well, but, but let's say, uh, uh, you, you did then tax collector is the most recent thing you did, yes, that got a lot of buzz it was number one on itunes for like a month yes yes it was it uh-huh. was very exciting and uh we can talk maybe about how you came to do that because the name of this show is between cut and action mm-hmm. and so it's focused on what do people do uh, to to sustain themselves to launch themselves to balance themselves uh on, on the big picture between gigs and on the uh, on set when you're actually getting ready to work and prepare what what do you do so so we can touch on 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 the macro and the micro okay okay sounds good well from my life personally I did a movie in 2012 and that was the last pro- 2011 it was it came out 2012 and that was the last project that I did until uh tax collector came around which was 2020. Yeah, last year. No, no, no. 2020. No, it was 2000. It came out 2020, but I filmed it in 2018. I remember. So six years. So the macro from 2012 to 2018, I was working in my own business and surviving. So Mm -hmm. I think that education of life by myself mm-hmm. um it's still tough but in between projects mm-hmm. but i think nothing's going to get to that point no where no. it's like six years no so i think it's the it's actually the best thing because usually as actors we wait for the next job or the next job and we get desperate or depressed or something happens and we're like oh sad i don't have 
I don't have work or I'm not being recognized creatively. And so it's only going to take you what, another week or two or a month to you can, between another job nowadays. There's so many jobs. Oh, yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> There's so many jobs out there. I feel like everyone I know is booking something. I know. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, people are booking back to back. It is amazing. And I just want to give a little more context that uh, uh, can you tell our listeners uh, where your origins are, where you're from. And uh, I think mm. what's interesting um, is uh, uh, that you're a local from L.A. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I was born and raised in South Los Angeles. I was born in a hospital called Mission Hospital, actually right next door to a church called St. Matthias Church in Huntington Park, California, um, which is like about a 45-minute drive south from Hollywood. Um, I grew up in South LA where a lot of the things you do around there, there's nothing involving art. Um, sports are removed from the high schools, the middle schools, um, the art programs are defunded. Um, so there's nothing you can find around that area that's a dancing class or a singing class or a piano class or an acting class. There's nothing. Um, so when I was about 10 years old, my mom had asked me what I wanted to be when I when I was growing, when I was a grown up, and I said, when I became a grown up, and I said, "Well, I want to draw," and so I would have these drawings all over. I would have all these sketching pads around my room, and I would draw a lot. And then one day, my mom says, "That's not gonna make you any money, so you have to figure out something else." And I remember being a little kid and tearing down all of my little drawings. I remember I drew like a little vampire or something, like a Dracula, and I thought it was really cool. And I tore it down, I tore all of the drawings down, I threw them away, and then I was just, I don't know, it was like, there's like a blur in between what happened then to the day my mom drove me and my sisters to an acting class in Hollywood, and we knew nothing about it. And the class ended up leading us to like this, I'm not sure if you know this, Shelly, but we let, it led us to a, an agency, supposedly here in Hollywood, like at the Rally Studios or something, like something like this, some studio. And we thought it was real because we're on some lot. Um, and I don't know how my mom found this. And then it ended up being a fraud. And my, we knew nothing. Like that's how much we come from, like no artistic, nothing in our family. There's nothing at all. So my mom thinking, okay, how much do I have to pay for each child so I can get them into a class or so I can get them into a job or I can give them a... Headshots, how do we do it? What is this headshot? Like, what do you do? Like, how do you take it with my phone? Do I take a picture with a camera? Like, what do I do? So, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing. And finally, my mom, she found out that she was robbed for paying like a thousand dollars a kid. And this is like, what, uh, 2000, 2001, maybe. Um, and my mom does a little bit more research. We, oh, she signs me up to these extra jobs so i started doing all these extra jobs and my mom says well you can hear it from my voice i'm a big mama's boy so my mom says we have to do these things so you can learn what's happening on a set so you understand what even a set means so you can look at everything the way it operates the way the system operates and um i remember hating it i remember hating every single moment of it because i was like what am i doing here like, I'm literally with all these bunch of kids that, like, you can tell no one knows what they're doing. All of the extra kids with their parents, like, they don't know what they're doing. And then I sat next to this Disney star. I forgot his name. 
on a bus ride. We were going to like set or something. And he looks at me and he says, hey, don't do this anymore. He says, don't be an extra. Get into an acting class if you want to be an actor. And I remember going, okay. And I was like nine or 10 years old. And um, I was going to pay, what, like $100 or something like this. A little cool little cash. My mom was just trying to figure out what is all this stuff. And my mom ended up looking for an acting class, found a class off of Lancashire called the Aaron Spicer Studios. And it, my mom was captivated because it was like a big picture outside of like J-Lo. <laughs> That's a big... And like, and like Will Smith, you know, <laughs> like there was pictures like this guy, I guess, coached them on some projects. I don't know. And then you walk in and there was like all of this, like a, a wall of fame, like all of these headshots of all these actors, but random actors, people, you know, people you don't know, things like this, you know? So we're like, whoa, what is this? We walk in and there's a lady named Lisa Picot and David Kaufman. And these two, there's a couple and they're young and they have a, the youth class. And my mom tries to sign me up and she, and we find out that, you know, and the lady says, well, you know nothing about acting. You know nothing about this art or this craft. I suggest you come to my house. I have a studio in the back. We'll coach you. We'll, you know, teach you what this is and see if you really want to do this. And it was a way for my mother to go on her work. She was a real estate agent, so she would like... She figured, okay, I can pick my son up, my daughters up, and I take them from school straight to this lady's house in Holly, West Hollywood, um, drop them off, and then she goes around, does her phone calls or whatever she needs to do, and then she comes back an hour, two hours later, picks us up. And so this became our life for about a year, where my mom would take us to this class and just drop us off and see what happens. Of course, me and my sisters are walking into, you know, I'm Chicano, so I'm brown, come from like a very... I don't know how you say, you know, the, a tough environment. And so I never seen white people, to be honest. Uh, I never seen white kids or anything like this. They weren't around us. Um, and then, so when I went to this class, I'm in a white person's home. I was very, uh, I felt like I was on a distant island, just like that. I didn't know anything. I just wow. felt lost. Yeah. And my sisters and I were going, and then after maybe about five to six months of doing these classes, my sisters, of course, are like, we hate this. We don't want to go to this lady's house. This is like a, like a, this is like um, a detention center. Like, why are you taking us here? Like, this is stupid. You know, my sisters are upset because they're just like, what are we doing here? I want to be with my cousins. I want to be with my friends. I want to, I want to be a kid. I keep taking us out of school, taking us straight to this lady's house. Like, we don't want to do this. So I know I'm younger than my sister, so I'm, they're twins, and I'm a year younger. So I'm like, I don't want to do it either. If they're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. So I put my foot down with my mom. <laughs> and my mom, of course, she's a businesswoman, so she's just looking at, like, how do I just keep my kids out of trouble? How do I keep them in a class? And so how do I put them something to just, like, put their energy into it and I can do my work? Because she was very busy. Um, so it was a way for her to, like, let it go into, like, some kind of a daycare and then dip. But, you know, Lisa was like, this is not a daycare. I don't take care of your kids. You know, you're going to buy, you're going to pay for this. And if you're going to spend money, you're going to spend your time. And I don't have, I don't have time to waste. You know, I'm working. Like, Lisa's got, like, she's very, and so her energy is very, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I remember my mom tells Lisa, well, my son and my daughters, you know, it's not for them. Thank you very much. Um, I think this is it. And I remember being behind my the driver's seat. I was in the back with my sisters, and they're talking to Lisa, and Lisa's at the window of the car. 
And she looks at my mom and she says, no. You're the mother. He's the child. You tell him what to do. He cannot leave this class. Your sister, your daughters, it's not for them. It's not for everyone. But your son, he has something. So he cannot leave. I will not let you take him out. Wow. Yeah, and mind you, I'm 10. So my mom's probably like 26, 27. She had me when she was 17. So she's young too. <laughs> and Lisa's yeah. probably like 31, 32. Oh my God. Yeah, so now now I'm 27. And I look uh-huh. at it and I'm like, if a 31, what? Oh man, that's crazy. So the, my mom's like, okay. My mom listens to Lisa like, all right, you know what you know what you're talking about. You think you believe in my son? Fine. So my mom takes my sisters out and, <laughs> and she keeps me in the class. Mind you, these drives to Hollywood are not fun. They're like an hour from Los Angeles, from South LA, where I grew up in South Central off the Blue Line, which is like Compton and Slauson. And then we grew up in Huntington Park, which is Olive Street and State Street. Um, and then we went down to Downey, which is crossing the 710 freeway. So we've just been all around LA, but we're just going further and further east. And so you got to go west. So these the three, you get out at three o'clock from school. You're not at Lisa's house until 5 p.m. Like, it's going to take you two hours, and you better get McDonald's or Burger King on the way because you have no time to eat. Mom's on the phone. You got to do your homework in the car. Like, it was just a lot of, like, we're just stuffed in this little SUV, you know, and trying to, like, stuff us all to this classroom. But then my mom drops me off. This class is, like, at 5.36. And I'll tell you this. I did, and then after a year of studying with Lisa, I started realizing, like, oh, man, this is really cool. Like, whatever this is, this is cool. Wow. Yeah, so I like in David uh, Kaufman. He was like a voice for Danny Phantom on Nickelodeon. So that was cool because, oh, my teacher's like this voice for this teenager, on uh-huh. the ghost or whatever. Uh-huh. And it was really nice, you know. And eventually they put me into their classroom. And when I went to their classroom, they... Um, I remember being the only brown kid in the whole class for many, maybe about, I started when I was like 11 or 12, uh, and at 13, 14, 15, 16. Maybe for about four years, I was in their class, um, three, four years. Uh, my teenage life, I was there like every Wednesday, Monday, like and Mondays, Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays, I was in their class. <laughs> yeah, so like growing up to where I grew up at, Everyone has buzz heads, Nike Cortezes, you know, they're in and out of prison. You know, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening. So I'm the cousin or the brother that's got long curly hair, kicking it in Hollywood in an acting class full of white people. You know, you're going to change. You're not going to be the same person you are at home. You're going to be like, hey, this, like, they want to go to, you know, Shakey's and have a pizza party, you know? Right. (laughs) And I'll tell you this, I never went to one. Because I always felt ashamed. I always felt like I wasn't, I didn't belong. I was like, no, I'm like, they're all white. Like, I, it's just a weird thing. It's like a weird thing because I just didn't know, but I just was a kid. I just felt, I just felt like, also, I would I would sit in this classroom all the time and I put my hoodie on and a beanie and I sit in the back in the corner. And then I would just like watch all these kids act and do their thing. And I remember I was very, very quiet and very shy. And I would get up, and the, you would, we read this book called Respect for Acting by Uta Hagen. At that age? Yeah. That's I started, ridiculous. Yeah, I started reading it. We started working on the exercises oh when I was God. like 12. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we so these, and some of them are very intense. I like, know. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 that's for someone 18 and older, someone who's kind of gotten 
to know who they are, and mm. then you detach mm. from that. But when you're 12, you don't know who you are yet yeah. anyway. Wow. There, there wow. was something I remember. There was an exercise. So Lisa made us do, like, at the beginning, you would do a monologue just uh -huh. because no one knows and then she would allow everyone to choose who they want to work with. And if you couldn't choose, she'd put you in a scene with a scene. So every other week, uh -huh. you'd perform a scene in class. Uh -huh. And then every three months or every two months, you would uh, do a showcase in mm -hmm. front of producers, directors, other actors, stuff like this. And I was in her second youth class. So she had just started becoming a teacher. She had one, one her first class. Um, and then she had her second class. And I was in that one. And that was like other actresses to this day are still acting like there's a, a girl named Haley Ram mm. amazing amazing actress uh there's uh Rico Rodriguez he was on Modern Family mm -hmm. so he he's a uh, Sofia Vergara's son he was in that mm. class his sister Rainy Rodriguez her and I became really really good close friends mm. um and a lot of other kids who I've never haven't seen ever again you know because we're young and people go and they do different things but I remember doing this these scenes like these monologues or like these sense memory work or these things and every time i would do one lisa would cry <laughs> yeah she would she would just cry wow and why I, why do you know why um I, because i think because i now being 27 and looking at where I come from and the way I was raised in my life and all this crap, I think that she saw that and really knew that here's a kid she's trying to save. And she knew that there was a lot of pain going on at that young age. And so she gave me these exercises to express myself. And I remember... I didn't, but I didn't know, you know, she, I think she was wow. doing it just to let it out. And I remember one time we did a showcase mm -hmm. and I was really, really, I did a lot of showcases. And I'll tell you this, my mom never brought my headshot or my resume, never. And all these kids had a table, like I, after the showcase, it'd be a table, headshots and resumes of all these kids, you know, mm -hmm. my mom always forgot mine always forgot mine and it was my fault too because i i was like busy trying to run my lines and mm -hmm. all that stuff and I, I remember making my own costumes and like running, like me and my mom run the lines in the car ta, 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 and i go back mm -hmm. into scene and like i like sometimes lisa would give me two two scenes or three scenes or mm -hmm. two different classes and i had a scene here and a scene there and i had to like wait the whole day there and perform twice in a day and she gave me a lot of work with it i remember one day i was really nervous and i go up to her and her husband in their office and i go hey can i go first and she goes no and I go, please, I want to go first. She's like, why? I say, I'm nervous. And she said, you save the best for last. Oh. So that's why we put you last. And I go, all right. And it made me feel better. And I was like, all right, okay. great. So I remember going, you know, and performing. And I just felt great. Like these little scenes, like five-minute scenes, eight-minute scenes maybe. And I felt great, like a little kid, like performing. And, you know, also like. It would just be my mom there. My dad would go or he wouldn't go and it should be like a thing. So like that was also part of the life. Anyway, I remember doing a scene once with, with, um, with Lisa. It was like a, a sense memory work or something. And she started crying and she's like, she looks at me and she goes, Bobby, why do you act? And I was like, I think I was like 12 years old, 13 years old. And I go, I don't know. <laughs> and she goes, I think it's the only thing you're 
you're really good at, huh? And I go, I guess so. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And I remember she was crying. And then I get up. I don't even know what I did. I will get on the stage. that these little black boxes. I get on this, these little rooms, you know, and I get on the stage and I remember just blacking out every single time. Every single time I was on stage, I just felt like, 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 like just ecstasy, like just, like I would just go, let it, like I just had no, no, I just let everything go all the time. And all the white kids, great, you know, all the white kids would come up to me and be like, because they're only white kids, they'd be uh-huh. like, hey, Bobby, can I be your scene partner? Oh, <laughs> how nice. Yeah, all of them. That's all, the way. So I, I actually had a way of, pick, I had to pick who I wanted because everyone wanted to work with me. And oh. I think also because I was the, the brown kid that they had never, they probably never saw a brown kid in their life, uh-huh. you know, so who knows? And so, you know, I remember being very excited about that class and always going. And then eventually I signed up my little brother and then he did a lot of years there with Lisa and he worked a lot with her. And, you know, and anytime now that like, I know a kid that wants to get involved, I'm like, go there, you know? Well, I'm kind of curious, uh, because full disclosure, um, yeah. we coach together. Yes. Uh, we have Bo- Bobby and I, uh, uh, professionally work together. Yes. Uh, um, and, uh, I, I, I remember, as I've told you, mm-hmm. uh, when we met, it was 2016, it was mm. October, November, and you had just come back from Paris. Yes. And yes. I've told you this, but it might be fun for the listeners that he came into my class and I just thought he was this bougie guy. <laughs> Because he said he had just come back from studying with, um, what's his name? Jack Garfine. Jack Garfine in Rest Paris. In and I thought, oh, God. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I, yeah, I had, I mean, that was just the very first moment we met. I, I wasn't, <laughs> I don't want people to think I roll my eyes, but no. it was, it, it, you know, if you, I don't have a video of this, but Bobby's definitely easy on the eye. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but I thought, who goes to Paris to study with Jack Garfine, you know, <laughs> yeah. like now? But, yeah. but um, it was like, I, I'm always curious, and you've told me before, but it might be fun to, mm-hmm. to weave together. I, I didn't realize how extensive your experience was. This is the first time I'm really hearing this deep history. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering why... What? Why was my class or the work we did? Because we did sense memory stuff, mm-hmm. where you were not punching your hand through the wall, mm-hmm. but I was in the seat as the facilitator of the class. Yes, and uh, and I know I've told you this before, but I just in my gut I said, just let him rip. Yes, he's not crazy he's not going to hurt himself or anyone else which is the only ground rule in my class Mm -hmm. and uh and you just i see now why you knew what to do with that space Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but um i didn't really know you when Mm -hmm. we were kind of meeting each other in those exercises those sense memory exercises so what was i was like i feel like maybe I was like a booster rocket mm-hmm. on a foundation of work. And I think our listeners might want to know what what's the foundation and why the booster rocket? Mm, mm, mm. What's the foundation? And and that, that there was so, there's something different, I think, happening in our meeting. Yes. 
But you had a really solid foundation, is what I'm saying. Yes, definitely. So a lot of it had to do with my life, you know, I with trying my best to. The foundation came from that, trying my best to escape this world that I was a part of, the one I was living in. Um, the way I, the one I was raised in and born in and didn't choose, and it's great, and I love all of it. But also, what acting did, what the stage did for me was, I just would disappear, just take off. I can do anything I wanted, and no one knew me. You know, that was the magic. No one knew me, like nobody. I was in a class full of people that didn't know mm, anything you, about me. I could, could be, be anyone. In- yeah, you could be anonymous. Exactly. But and, still human. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I can I can express myself however I want. And they're going to go, oh, that's how he works? Like, that's his mechanism? You know, I'm not judged. You know, and act, that's the beautiful thing about acting, too, is, like, no one's judged. You know, you just, you never know what you're going to expect from some human being if they can unlock themselves. Um, but I do think that in my life, when it took a spiral downhill, I... I built up a lot of walls and these walls were needing to be broken down. And my foundation was like, it was all these beautiful flowers and nice rose bushes. And then all of a sudden cement got poured on top. And then then the cement just like covered all of it. And then um, the whole time in my life, in those six years, I was like, man, all I want to do is act. And of course, I didn't have the means of doing it, and I didn't. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know, you know, any. I was like, I can't go to Lisa's anymore because. And I did go actually. I, that was the first class I went. I went back when I came from Paris. I went back because I was like, I don't know where to go. Like, I don't have any. This is the thing. In Hollywood, it's very hard to find an acting class like yours, Shelly. Like, it doesn't exist. You exist, so it exists. However, outside of you, you can't find it. And um, when I went to Paris, a friend of mine, before I went, a friend of mine who was studying in New York, uh, came to Los Angeles to start working in the film industry. And he would come to me and talk to me. And we met in a very... I never stopped acting. Like, I would always watch movies and I was always, you know, trying to interpret things human beings were saying in my store that I built. Like, I was just always like, what do actors do? Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm getting a little older. Like, what am I, what are the questions I'm supposed to be asking? Or, you know, who do I look for for advice or guidance? And all of a sudden, I went to this acting class actually where we we started acting in our class, that class there off of, uh, at the studio, the one I met you in Santa Monica and Wilcox. Yeah. Uh- at the, cl- the, the uh, complex. complex, yeah. So at the complex, actually, I went to the complex because a friend of mine named Richard Cabral, who's a Emmy-nominated actor now, mm-hmm. an ex-gang member who changed his whole life around. He's a poet, all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. We were in a better life together. He took me under his wing for a little bit, for a couple of months, and became like a mentor of mine. And he tells me about this acting class uh, there. Mm-hmm. at the complex and he's like come and join you know like he'll give you a good deal like he knows about people from you know this part of los angeles and he helps you out so i remember going at the time excuse me i was working in construction and i was i was the the guy that would be the first one there and the last one to leave and then i signed up at this acting class and i would go straight to his acting class 
and I would sleep in the back. I didn't want I didn't want to go home. I signed up for an acting class, and I I didn't do I never got up on stage. I I signed up. I paid the amount. It was like two hundred bucks a month or something, and I would just go there to sleep because <laughs> this is actually the truth. Why? I would go. I would have my construction gear on. Uh huh. And imagine I was only like twenty years old, twenty one years old. This is before Paris or before after? Paris. Okay. This is how I got to Paris okay. because I went there because Richard was like, "Come here." You know, sit next to me, bro. Like, you know, like I know your life right now is going crazy, and you know, this is gonna help you out. Like, mm-hmm. don't leave. Mm-hmm. You know, and thank God that I have people like that in my life that kept me. You know, can, can, do you mind if we please. tell the listeners what happened? It, uh, Bobby's referring to a moment when he was seventeen, and it's a whole other podcast. Yes. Not know if he wants <laughs> to do it, but his both of his parents went into federal prison. Yes. And so he became the father to his five-year-old brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't even ask. But <laughs> he, 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 he got through it. But I, I think what I'm hearing is that the, the people who had eyes on you that were connections to this uh, emerging career you were making mm-hmm. um, understood that that a uh, a kind of a landmine went off. So I, j- I just wanted the listeners to know that it was, you know, n- not any um, catastrophe in you, but a catastrophe around you mm-hmm. that you had to then, mm-hmm. uh, in an honorable way, uh, f- especially for your little brother, yes. get things right. So... So that kind of derailed the energy going to your acting. Yes, exactly. And all of that energy got funneled into a place of survival, such mm-hmm. as how do you survive? How do you... And you know what? I'm grateful for it because being 27 years old now in this industry now, I'm not and I did not participate in, in any of these like... There was a lot of these groups of actors or you know people working always together. And like the, the, what, the, what I like is that, oh, Bobby Soto, I knew you at one point. But you disappeared for a long time, and now you're back, and now you just made a movie with Shia LaBeouf and David Ayer, and you're starring in it, and all of a sudden you're a regular on Narcos, one of the biggest shows in the world, and all of a sudden you're working alongside Michael Shannon. What? Like how did how'd you do it? You know what happened? Like how did you get here? And I think that's where where actually where you come into play, Shelly, because. You know, I long story short, I go to this acting class. A friend of mine, he's like, who, who lives in Downey? Who lives in Downey? Anybody lives in Downey? And I heard him over talking. I was like, I live in Downey. He's like, oh, cool. Can you take me home? And I was like, nobody nobody lives in Downey in Hollywood. Nobody. It's like, you, you have to be from L.A. Sulem. Yeah. Sulem yeah. is from Downey. Oh, she is? Yes. <laughs> I just want to so say. It's very hard to find yeah. someone. It's yeah. rare. And so right. when I heard this guy speaking, I was like, oh, I'll take you to Downey. Turns out he lived literally one block away from my house. And then we go and we uh, we start, we hit it off, starts talking. He tells me he's from New York, all this stuff. He knows about all these acting teachers and all this stuff. He's talking about theater and acting. And I'm like, wow, I just found someone that's going to reignite my fire with this art thing because I've been working so hard. Construction, I was opening up a shop, I was doing all this stuff. And I would never, I did nothing. I didn't. I, when this catastrophe in my life happened, my agents and my managers at the time were like, "Yeah, hey, uh, you need to figure your life out. I was 17, and we're going to be over here. And they dropped me. 
And I was just in a movie that was nominated for an Oscar. You know, I was like, what? Like, I right now is the time to put me out there. I'm 17, but I can I need to work. Like, I have no more mom and dad. I have no more house. I'm living in my car. Like, I need to survive. And if I can go to an audition right now and book something, oh, man, use me. I have a lot of pain. Like, I know what the fuck's happening. I'm, like, going crazy here. I need to put it into something. And they dropped me. And so I needed to figure it out. So then, you know, long story short, it just had to survive. And then my friend was like, you should talk to this guy named um, Jack Garfine. He, he's a really good teacher. And he's in he's in Paris. And that's the only, he's 90 years old. He's going to die, man. <laughs> like, you need to hurry up. And like, he starts like glorifying Jack. You know, uh -huh. this in New York, Jack goes to a classroom and the whole place is like, the line is around the block. And like, you know, all these universities, Jack opened up, he did. He opened up the playhouse, uh, the what is it called? The actor's uh, studio. The actor studio over there in New York, what is it called? Yeah, the actor studio. Or yeah, what? so there's one here in LA. Yeah, actor studio West. Mm -hmm. You mean years ago? Yes, Jack mm -hmm. and Paul Newman opened it. Uh huh. Yeah, so there's all like like all that all you can Google it. It's all there. So uh -huh. when I saw, I was like, oh wow, Paul Newman, what? And I got all excited. Uh, I got into a big car accident. Um, worked three years and a half every day trying to survive, make money, dreaming of being an actor, dreaming, dreaming, dreaming. Like, how am I gonna get back? What? How am I gonna go back? How am I gonna get back? And every day, it's just like, this was my life. I just had to survive, pay bills, put food on the table, you know, keep a roof over the head of my whole family. And it was just, I never had time for myself. I would write these notes down. All the notes were like, how do I take care of mom? How do I take care of dad? How do I take care of my sister? How do I take care of my brother? How do I pay the bills? How do I make the water store go? How do I, all of these notes. Okay, last page was always, what do I do for myself? That was like my life for about five years. Literally. And I remember one day going, uh, man, this is, this sucks. I put myself last for a long time. But I got to a place where I was able to um, support my family. I got to a place where I was able to sell my shop. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this offer. I'm going to leave. I'm going to look for another. I'm going to go. I've never been past Las Vegas. I never went to New York. I've never been to Texas. Never, been, never went that way. Never went east. Never, never, never in my life. You was, went to Paris, and I just <laughs> and this is the this is how I know that uh -huh. the Creator and the universe was involved uh -huh. in spirit because. Um, how did you even get a passport? How did you know how to get a passport? So I had a passport because okay, when I was a teenager, my I had actually I went to Canada. I went to Toronto because um, I shot a movie over there, a TV movie with. Oh. Um, yeah, I forgot with I forgot with who, but a TV movie called Change of Plans, and it was supposed to be a series, uh -huh. um, and then it got dropped because the companies separated or anything like this. And I was only like that was right after like I booked, I did Brothers and Sisters, boom, worked with Sally Field. I did a uh, Better Life, boom, worked with Chris Weitz, and then I did uh, this TV movie, boom, and then I did another TV show on The Closer, and then I did this other show, and then like I was like, oh, sh like whoa, I'm like really grooving right now, like things are happening. And then boom, my life crashed. Parents go to prison. I'm like, what? And then of course, as an actor, you don't have means to, eat. like, how, you want to make your money through there. You know, mm -hmm. all my money, I was giving it to my mother just to pay bills and keep her afloat with all her finances. And so I didn't have anything saved in the bank. Mm -hmm. I had nothing. So my mom, my dad went to prison. All I had was my car and a car payment. <laughs> so like the car every month was going to get repoed. You know, like I had to really hustle hard until I was like finally able to pay off the car. It took me about five years to pay off the car and i did anyway I, I hear about paris from this guy my friend and then i just go and i left and when i left i met jack garfine and uh, oh my friend i tell my friend and he says bobby you're not gonna you're not gonna believe it. i said what he says 
I just found plane tickets to Paris for $200. And I said, I mean, round trip. And I said, are you serious? This is bullshit. And he goes, no. Guess what the airlines are called? I said, what? He said, wow. It's called Wow Airlines. <laughs> and I was like, wow. He's like, it's serious. And he's, he's a chef. So he's like, I'm going to go to Paris with you. You want to go? I'll go with you. I'll go and I'll be the, I'll, I'll look for places to cook. And then you can go and do your acting thing. You know, I was like, oh man, thank you, brother. Thank you. So let's get him. He buys the tickets. We go. Um, I sign up for this class with, with Jack Garfine. They're all this, I'm the only American student with another woman. And everyone else is French. And they have an interpreter, so Jack is talking, and then the interpreter talks, and Jack's very old, so he's, he can't really hear, he's got to speak up louder. But he just goes, like, we have this highly intense six weeks mm-hmm. where every day we get into class at 7 a.m., and it ended at 5 p.m. And you took breaks in between, so you went for a lunch break, you, you know, Jack's thing was, every two hours you should take a break, mm-hmm. whether it's a water break or you go for an hour break for lunch, mm-hmm. you always take a break. You don't want to fry the brain. You want mm-hmm. to continue to be able to have more juices in you. And, you know, he was very old and I was very uh, attracted to the all of his wisdom and his knowledge on acting. And he would talk stories about Brando and James Dean and Marilyn Monroe and Harold Clerman and Arthur Miller and um, all, of the, all of the greats, all of them, Stella Adler. Like he just... He just had a wealth of just the group theater and the mm-hmm. actor studio and, you know, um, Strasburg. And he was Strasburg's assistant. Mm-hmm. So he was there through all of it. He got married in Strasburg's house with Carol Baker. Like oh, he, my God. Yeah, like Strasburg. Like he has all this memorabilia from like like literally napkins with letters from Brando to him. Or like with Stella Adler, like Jack never changed, you know, things like this. And it's like. He was the youngster that was with these older people, and they just kept him around. He learned a lot, and he became a director, got blacklisted uh-huh. because he put African-Americans in one of his films. Uh-huh. And Hollywood didn't want that at the time. And so he did it. Anyway, he got the camera crew after like the people, the producers, whatever, left from the, of the studio. He would go back in the studio and film. But he's oh like, God. yeah, and he's like, this is real life. I'm not going to do that. And so he stuck he by his rogue. guns. He went rogue. And then he just said, F America, I'm leaving. And he takes off to Paris. And mm-hmm. he just stood there for the the remaining remainder of his life. And then I met him and he just, he he spoke to me about um, um, Eleanor Duze. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I ever heard her name, Eleanor mm-hmm. Duze. And he said... Everything you see these actors do, everything you aspire to do, came from Eleanor Duse. So he's like, respect. You know, he would talk about Shakespeare. He would talk about, um, you know, he had a relationship with Pacino as well and De Niro and all of them. And he would call them and, you know, I saw your play, you know, uh, in two words, Jack would say, either it's amazing or bullshit. There was no in between. Mm. He's like, that's amazing. Or as bullshit. Mm. And you knew it was like, you're just really shitting the bed. Um, And I got to know him really well because I try to become his assistant. You know, I try to get him coffee and like, yo, what do you need? Like, he's an old man. So I just was trying to be around him a lot, absorb, ask questions. How long were you in Paris? Six weeks. What? Six weeks? All of this in in, six weeks? Yeah, I was, uh, yes. And I was in a place called Montreuil, Montreuil, Le Col de Montreuil or something like this. And I took like a 20 minute tram from my place that I got an Airbnb. It was really cheap um, because of, whatever at the time and then the euro had dropped 
the time I was there in Paris. I thought you were there for like six months. Oh no, no, no! It's funny we. It's, I, it's yeah. funny we're talking about. This. Yeah. So and then I yeah. I learned, and then Jack, he really was like, um, I remember that was the first time I had performed mm-hmm. in over five six years. The first time on this stage in Paris mm. with French people watching me, and I did a scene from the Glass Menagerie. It was mm. a scene. I did a scene from the Glass Menagerie with this American lady who went to Jack to learn about directing, and he actually had her act. And he said, "The only way you're going to learn to be a director is by learning what it means to be an actress." And so then she was acting with me, mm-hmm. and she was playing my mother, and I was playing the son. And we had this whole breakfast scene, and then I remember like, "Whoa, I'm back on!" Like, oh, I felt it again. Mm. You know, five, six years later, I'm like, "Oh man!" And we were the last scene. And I remember, like, the the audience, there was, like, a shock factor. There was, like, a, like, we, and the scene ended, and everyone was quiet. That's the best. And then they just clapped and roared, like, just applauded, like, standing ovation. And then I was like, oh, we did it. We actually, this lady was having a hard time, because she's like, I don't want to be an actress, I'm a director, but she did it. And then we walked in the back, she's like, we did, we did. She was excited, I was like, Oh man, we just did it. No one wanted to leave the theater. Um, I walk out and I know no one. You know, it's all these French people watching us. He brought in a lot of people. I try to bring in people from like that I met on the the park or something, things like this, just to come and like, you know, support. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got it packed. I brought in like about 10 people that I had just met in Paris. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, he, he was really happy. Jack was like telling the French people, why don't you bring more? Bobby's from America. And he brought in 10. And what about <laughs> you? You brought one? You know, he was like, <laughs> like that. And then I remember all of the, like we went to have a dinner at this pizza place and all of the French people were like, oh man, you guys are really good. Like they were really excited. And I remember going, oh, like that just reinvigorated my fire. And I was like, nice. People, French are recognizing me. Like they can barely understand what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And they recognize that there's something there. That Jack mm-hmm. always pulls off this kind of work. He could turn, they would talk about how he can turn a regular person into an actor, like all this stuff. And so when I came back, I before I left Paris, I told Jack, Jack, how do I find this kind of work in not? Uh, Los Angeles, do I move to New York? Where do I go? What do I do? What do you recommend? And he mm-hmm. said, get a group of friends and work on Shakespeare and um, what else? And just work on, oh, he said, work on Shakespeare and sense memory work. That's it. That's all you have to do. And do that with a group of friends, but dedicate it. Because it's a story that and that he has in his book where mm-hmm. him and James Dean and a, and Eli and a, a group of other actors that were part of this classroom would go, after work go up to this building on top I don't know where somewhere in New York and they will rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and like push it like they were all working like janitor or clerks or whatever mm-hmm. and they he's there's a specific story he like he loves to tell and it's in his book where he says that Eli Kazan Elia Elia Kazan mm-hmm. walks mm-hmm. in and he's like what are you guys doing here and then and he said you guys are gonna make something of yourselves. You keep mm-hmm. doing this like this because they were just like constantly working and they never stopped. Mm. And James Dean was a part of their little crew. That's amazing. Yeah. And so Jack's like, that's what you need to find. And I was like, okay. And then I remember flying back to LA, depressed, mm-hmm. sad. Mm-hmm. Like I had like PTSD. Mm. I'm like, oh man, I have to come back to reality. I come back to my shop. Uh, how am I going to end this? What am I going to do? Where do I find a classroom? What do I do? So I tried out Lisa's 
I was like, no, this is for kids. Like, I can't be here anymore. I learned something else. Like, how do I find that? Where is that? And I was just hunting for it. Mm. And I remember walking at the Samuel French, rest in peace, that's not there anymore. And I remember walking to Samuel French here in Hollywood. And I was just, you know, I would go there a lot and get plays and just read and just sit there looking to make friends or something. And then I remember I was walking out and on my left eye, I caught an orange card. And I saw, and I look at it, it was just like the only orange card on this big board of like, you know, little cards and business cards. And I go up to it and it says, Eleanor Duze Studio. And then I see pictures of Eleanor Duze and I'm like, whoa, this is a sign. This is it. This is it. Like, I found it. Like, oh, thank you, Jack. Like, Eleanor Duze came into my head. Okay, uh-huh. this is where I have to go. And I just felt really, and it was your card. Uh-huh. And I remember call. I remember calling you the next morning, like seven in the morning or something. And I thought it was like a. Did I pick up? You did, <laughs> you did. I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was a a studio number, mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't. It was it was yourself. And I was like, I felt bad. I was well, like, of course. Oh. I mean, yeah, you're. you're you would di- think it. Someone wouldn't pick up themselves. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm gonna leave a message, see what I can find out. Yeah. And I remember you you saying, you know, hi, hi. No, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. And you're like, no, no, it's fine. It's what's going on. And I felt like you had just woke up. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I just looked into your classroom and I'm really excited. I just want to join and see what it's about. And then I remember going into your classroom and it was really exciting. It was really exciting because there was only a few people. It was a handful of people. And it just looks so serious and like the place to be. I was like, this is it. Like the weight is on and this is where I got to be. And so then from that time, I got into a car accident. Um, I think it was like a little bit before I met you. I got in a car accident. I was crushed between five cars. Mm. And then I ended up on the hospital bed. And the doctor came, came and she opened up all of my clothing. And she tells me, you're not dead you're not paralyzed and you don't have one major broken bone in your body. So God is giving you a second chance. So live the life you're supposed to live. And then she walks away and never met her again. I ended up two weeks on the on the hospital bed with like a neck brace. My spine's messed yeah, up. I yeah. burst the spleen, ribs. I did have injuries. Uh-huh. However, it wasn't as bad as it should have been. Crushed between five cars. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair for a little bit. Like it was a lot. I had to re- learn how to walk again. How long was it before we met? I think it was about, mm, I want to say maybe like three, four months maybe. Oh my God. October, let me see, June. Yeah, August, September, October, June, July. Yeah, July. No- November is when we met. I went in the summer to yeah. Paris. and I met. Yeah, we met in November because I remember being upset that December was only going to be like two or three classes because oh, of the yeah. holidays and they were yeah. going to come back after. And I was like, oh, man, I just came, yeah. I came too late, you know. But I was healing and then um, I got into your class and then, then all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is exactly where I have to be. And That's amazing. Yes, it's been nonstop since then. Since then, yes, it's, it's been, been nonstop. Been very good and and eye opening for me because I had just moved to L.A. two two years before mm-hmm. that. From I was living in the Bay Area and teaching, so uh, <clears throat> being part of somebody blossoming mm. it was was a big deal for me. It is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And now there's a few other people that I work with that are coming up. But it, it's interesting uh, hearing, as I've said a few times in this podcast, that I, I just didn't realize all that you had done 
with Lisa mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. the rigor that went into doing all those scenes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm kind of blown away here. Yeah. Yes, um, I've been I've been doing it for quite a time, quite a while, but I always feel like I know nothing. I always feel like you have I'm a student's the, mind, a beginner's mind. Yeah, you know, yeah. A, a, an ex girlfriend of mine actually said, "That's why I like you, Bobby, because you're constantly searching. You're mm-hmm. constantly searching. I know if I go to you in a year from now, you're gonna mm-hmm. have something new to share and something more information because you're always looking." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know why, but yes, I feel like I'm moving forward towards something, searching for something in this art, in this craft, because." Mm-hmm. You know, I dedicated my life to it. And that's how I signed with my manager because what he said to me was the first time anyone in the whole industry has ever told me, which was, this is for the rest of your life. This is what you chose. This is your journey. There's mm-hmm. no rush. Mm-hmm. Take your time. Nice. And then I said, wow, you're so true. It's so right. Yeah, I don't have to rush. Uh-huh. Trying to get a job, trying to do this, trying to do that. Like, uh-huh. be patient. The job will come. You know, it'll be the one that's right for you. The uh-huh. one that you can collaborate with. You don't. You want to be able to collaborate with a director that really understands you and wants to dig in, dig inside your heart, and you guys share each other's love, and yeah. you, you you can share your thoughts and ideas, and someone that's open to you and wants yeah. to be there with yeah. you. Is your teammate, you know what I mean? You want to be like Kobe and Shaq. You want to be able to pass the ball and dunk. You want to be able to, you know, guard each other. You want to be there for one another. You know, it's really, really teamwork. And especially making a film when you have millions of dollars on your back and some like millions of dollars on you. And you need to get every single second, you know, every millisecond needs to be spot on. Mm-hmm. You need to be living and breathing in that character. And if you have a director who sets the tone, sets the way the vibration is, you can be able to vibe with him or her and you can work together and be safe in mm-hmm. that place. Mm-hmm. And you can really create something you know, really magnificent mm-hmm. and excellent as opposed to where... That's why, you know, I think it's really a good thing to talk about where a lot of people just want to work. A lot of actors just want to work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's great, you know, but when you just want to work and you get a job where you're just working and it's just a job for money and you're not really creative and it's not flowing with a director, you're going to have to standing up against the wall or a mirror and be like, okay, how am I doing this? Like for me, how do I do everything for me? Like you got to really push hard and work hard on your own because nobody else cares. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so I say it's a good thing if you wait. And um, of course I want to work too. And, you know, my ego sometimes like, well, if I get a job and ambitious any job, then I could like really, really inspire the director to collaborate with me because I'm going to just be open and great and vulnerable. And then we can really collaborate together. But that's the ego because the truth is they're on their own time and their own money and the producers are on their back. So they don't care anything about what you have to say or what you have to do. You know, just go there and stand there and say your lines. You know, Um, I've seen a lot of that actually Mm -hmm. in Hollywood. I think that's what's expected. And and I think the, the journey I've had with you is um and the reason I don't know Jack Garfine, but I think the reason why he may have suggested that you just study Shakespeare and do sense memory is because 
in Shakespeare, you've got to be researching what words mean. You've got to be researching what things mean. You you can't just puff yourself up and say to be or not to be. Mm. You you have to reflect on what it means, and it makes you think deeply. Mm. And uh, that's what I find is um, uh, uh, what uh, is odd, you know, a little bit odd for me as a acting coach and mm. acting teacher. As a coach, it's not odd, but as a teacher, it's odd odd to. Um, to be uh, uh, calling out, hmm. do you understand that? Does hmm. it mean it? Not so much do you understand it, but does it mean anything to you? Because the minute you read something and it means something to you, it's going to have a spark of life to it. Hmm. So the real thing that, that is good is if what it means to you is in conjunction with what the writer meant to say. Hmm. Mm. And I think a lot of people only got half the memo mm. about what method acting is or what that is. It's, it's They think it's like, well, as long as it means something to me, then I'm good. Mm. But I like to add, well, what was the writer trying to get across in this moment? And that seems to be very exciting mm -hmm. for people the people that i work with when they start to to put those puzzle pieces together mm -hmm. then they bring it on set mm -hmm. and nobody knows it doesn't matter whether they've had help mm -hmm. uh connecting themselves to the material or whether they just saw it automatically themselves mm -hmm. um but that seems to be the wheelhouse that i'm in mm -hmm. right now and i have a lot of fun I mean, if I could just sit, we did work on Shakespeare for a while. Yes. It was so much fun just when you watching, when you're reading it, of course you understand the words. And then when you understood the mind games that were going on between the people, then this watching you mm -hmm. get into that mm -hmm. uh, made it all exciting. Yes, there's a, there's this, uh, there's like this exercise that I was really fond of and I really like, which is, you go to a piece of art, the actor, and you, uh, whatever, a sculptor, a, sculpt, a sculpture or a painting, and you ask yourself, what is the artist trying to convey in this piece of art? What is the artist saying? What is the art? What do you, what do I feel from this? Um, that what do I think the artist is trying to say, right? And also, then you look at the piece. And then you go, what's happening to that person or that piece? What's happening right there? You know, you can look, think of an easy example, the thinking man. You know, you look the at- thinker. The, the thinker. The thinker, yes. Mm -hmm. Rodin. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you see that. Yes, exactly. Rodin. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And so you go, you see that and you go, what is he thinking? Mm -hmm. Why is his, okay, why is his hand like that? Like, why is he sitting that? Why is he hunched over? Like, mm -hmm. what's going on? For him, also, mm -hmm. the- what is the artist saying? And then you go to your class or whatever and you recreate that piece. Right. So now if he's in just shorts, you get you put yourself in just shorts, you place your hand under your chin, you sit, mm -hmm. you hunch over, you sit the way he's sitting, and all of these questions you've asked yourself now they're living inside of you and mm -hmm. now you're tr you're there and you're trying yourself to convey what you mm -hmm. believe is happening. And then you sit there and you sit in that. And then you have a student or someone else in the classroom come over 
and look at the photograph because you bring in a photograph of the piece you're doing because you're trying to replicate it. Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, the left finger's a little bit more under the, slightly under the chin, and then the thumb is more here, and then the back is more like this. So you allow them to direct, to move you and shape you, mm. and to then they're directing you. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, this is what I offer, and this is what this is how I transform when someone else comes and collaborates with me. Mm -hmm. You're free, mm -hmm. and then that I've seen, I've seen where I myself you feel like, whoa. Like mm -hmm. something else, because now there's two spirits working. Well, it gets one. into you, and then yeah. if we get really woo-woo, there's the collective unconscious. Yes. Of that nerve that you've hit. Yes. And then who knows how much that is coming in? Yes. But that's I've gone way out there just now, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> but I I think we need to. Mm. We need to have part two okay, yeah, of this. I can talk a lot. No, but it's just so rich. And yeah. your voice is so beautiful. Oh, thank and you. it is. And, and I'm just here. Who'd think that you'd have more news for me? But it, it's interesting having that. And um, uh, and thank you for your kind words uh, on, on the work we've done together. Um. But I think we will do part two. Yeah, That's just it. We'll we'll do another sitting. Yes. We'll do part two. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, do you, yeah, because this is my second pot recording, and and he's never done this. No, so I talk a lot. But that's okay. No, I, I'm so glad. I, I'm capable of talking a lot, too. Okay, good, good. So I'm so glad someone else is. Nice. Uh, and it's so rich, I think, for for listeners. And um, Okay. And, uh, but let's do, let's do part, part two. two. And I, I think I, I would love the, the, what I want to ask now, but it'll, I'll plant the seed for part two, mm -hmm. is because um, uh, I have a few people who, who are, are are successful child actors, but mm -hmm. they're getting older, and mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to hear more specifically in part two, what what is being a grown up actor? What you're doing now that you weren't doing as a child, but even though you were mm -hmm. getting a positive feedback as a child, mm -hmm. you're doing something different now. But we'll do that mm -hmm. in part two. Yes, yes, yes. How's Looking that? forward to it. I love you so much. You too, Shelley. Okay. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you, Bobby Soto, for coming on Between Cut and Action. Thank you for listening to Between Cut and Action. Our theme music was composed and performed by Litha Ashforth. You can learn more about this episode at our website, betweencutandaction.com. Until next time. Onward we go.